Psalm 1. We're in a series entitled Living the Blessed Life, and we're working through this psalm. And um, trust it's been an encouragement to you. It's been good reminders for me. Let's go ahead together as we begin. Let's read this psalm, the six verses, and let's read it out loud. And uh, we'll try to stay together as best we can. If you've got it memorized, this would be a good time to practice that as well. I, I don't know whether I should do it or not. If I goof up, I'll goof everybody up, right? Isn't that how that works? Uh, but let's give it a shot. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture. I thank you for the truth that it contains. Father, so much here. Um, What a way to start this book of Psalms. What a way to start our year as we're reflecting on these truths. I pray today that you would calm my heart, help help me to focus. Uh, Lord, I don't know what the week's been like for each of us, but I know it's been busy for me and my mind's going a lot of different directions. For each of us, Father, help us to be able to put those thoughts out of our minds. Focus upon you. Focus upon the word. Uh, Give us attention, Father. And then we ask that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us. Uh, Father, challenge us. And we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is message four in this series. If you've not been able to to pick the other ones up, they are on the website if you wanted to go about it that way. And um, there actually are some video links if you wanted to see it. I just recommend the audio if it were me. I don't like to look at myself either. So it just, you know, the audio might be a better fit. But if you'd like to pick up the series, they all do tie together, and um, feel free to do that. Uh, What a psalm. David begins this psalm with the proposition that there is a way to live a happy life. There is a blessed life. There's a happiness that we can experience here on earth that goes beyond what the natural, normal person experiences. It's a happy, satisfied, contented, joyful life, a blessed life, and it can be a reality for each one of us. It's a happiness that covers every base. It checks off every box. It's a happiness that will not leave you dissatisfied down the road or disappointed or wishing for more. David begins with the plural form of this word, blessed. And the idea here is, oh, the blessednesses of that man. How totally satisfied, how completely content, how incredibly happy is the man. And then he proceeds to tell us how we can find that happiness. So we've looked at five secrets to the ha- becoming a happy person. The first secret was the happy person is a godly person. There's a direct link between happiness and godliness. This happiness that we're pursuing comes from a deepening relationship and a growing fellowship with my God. It comes from those sweet, personal, daily interactions that we have with our Heavenly Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we, we looked at several verses that contained this idea of blessedness or happiness. And every single one of them was tied to personal interactions with God. When we realize that we've been saved by God, that we're corrected by God, that we've been forgiven by God, that we're ruled by God, chosen by God, 
Then we experience him and we taste and see that the Lord is good. We realize that we can trust his promises, that we sit in his presence, that we approach close, that we dwell in his house, that we find his strength sufficient, that we hear the joyful sound of his voice, see the light of his countenance, find his word delightful in his presence more than enough. Every single phrase that we talked about there came from one of those verses describing the blessed person in Psalms. It's that connection with him. It comes when our minds are occupied with him. True lasting happiness can never come apart from godliness. And that was the first secret. Secondly, we looked at the fact that a happy person is a discerning person. He doesn't look for happiness in the wrong place. And I think we talked about that fairly sufficiently, but the reminder not to look for happiness in the philosophy of this world. Why? Because it's man-centered, and it's pleasure-centered, and it's now-centered. It's all about what I can get for the moment. We didn't necessarily elaborate on this, but does that not fly in the face of what God really has for us? Rather than being man-centered, God wants us to be God-centered. Rather than being pleasure-centered, what would God say? He wants us to be service-centered, looking about others instead of ourselves. And and instead of being now-centered, God wants us to focus on eternity. It shouldn't be about the present. It should be about what's to come. Secondly, don't look for happiness in the lifestyle of this world. It's wicked. There's temporary pleasure, but there's lasting, long-term, tragic consequences. And then we don't look for happiness in the laughter of the world. The crass, the rude, that which makes a mockery of sacred truth. And in putting all this together, we realize that sin is progressive, right? If we begin to listen to the counsel of the ungodly, it'll lead us to the, to the way of sinners, which will lead us to the seat of the scornful. We realize that there's futility and folly and the fate of going down the wrong path. But then we took a more positive approach last week with secret number three. The happy person is a passionate person. He's found true delight. He's found the real deal. And maybe I went a little overboard on the illustrations last week. But I was trying to paint a picture. I was trying to help us understand what delight really looks like and then how we can take that delight and find it in God and in his word. If I do every message like that with that much illustration, say something to me because we don't need to be top-heavy on illustrations all the time, but sometimes the illustration is necessary to help make the point. We found true delight. We talked about the fact that this ability to delight is ingrained in our DNA. We're born with the desire and the ability to delight. But God wants us to delight in this life. He does. He created this world for us to enjoy, all things richly to enjoy. But what is his main point in all of this? He wants us to enjoy life in him. Find our delight in him. Have a passion for life? Absolutely, we need to. And if you've started to dry up a little bit in your life, find something that that lights your fire and get passionate about life again. Because when you do that, it's going to spill over into your relationship and your walk with God. And on the other side, get into God's word and begin to read and study and meditate and delight in him and in his word. And what's that going to do? It's going to spill over into your, your desire and your zest for life. The two go hand in hand. So the happy person is passionate. He's found true delight, but he's found this delight in the law of the Lord. God's word delights his heart as it directs his path. These commandments of God, God telling me what to do and what not to do, no longer seem restrictive because I realize it's God pointing me on this path to happiness. And yeah, there's some things I can't do if I want to go on this road to happiness, but that's okay because there's an end goal in mind. Those exits over here, they're not going to attract me anymore because I'm focused on a goal. And delighting in him. And when we do that, guys, we dig into this book. I hope you realize at this point that this is more than a list of do's and don'ts. 
I hope it's more than just a whole bunch of commands and, and thou shalts and thou shalt nots. Guys, this book is way more than that. We can find as we dig into it that it's an inexhaustible treasure chest for the soul. It renews our mind and it cleanses our hearts. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the light for our path and it's the balm for our hurts. It tells us about God and how we can know him and how we can please him and how we can build that relationship with him. And so we open it up and on every page we see God. And we occupy our minds with him and we delight in him and and it just stirs our soul in ways that we can't understand. It brings us incredible delight. And that naturally leads us to secret number four. In verse 2 of Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. Our fourth secret is this. The happy person is a disciplined person. If you want the S word to kind of fill out the outline there, I'm going to say a saturated person. They saturate their minds and their lives with the word of God. This person has learned how to meditate on scripture. We're going to look at seven things here quickly through here. I don't think it'll take us that long. Don't be scared if you have seven points. I know that sometimes gets you nervous. Um, you know, we've, the soups are already warm. We'll just take a little break and come back and finish it later, I guess, if we have to. I don't think it'll be too bad. Number one, the authority for meditation. Is meditation a biblical concept? Well, we see it in this verse for sure, right? And we see it other places as well. But before we do that, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to meditation today. When I say the word meditation, does that require you to get in the lotus position? Wear a toga, shave your head, put your hands like this, and work on your um sound? Is that what we're talking about here? No, it's not. Uh, Is there a meditation that goes down that route? Yes, but that's not biblical meditation. Um, It's not the idea of emptying your mind. And it's important that that we understand and think about that because the world has this idea of meditation and that's not what we're talking about because it's very clear in this passage and others that meditation is filling my mind with something. It's not emptying my mind. That's dangerous. So this idea of I'm going to get into this state, this trance-like state, and I'm going to empty my mind of everything, don't do that. We can talk about yoga and all those things that are tied with transcendental meditation and, and all that. I don't think there's anything wrong with stretching your body. I think we should do some physical activity and some of those stretches. But if in the course of doing that, I'm deliberately emptying my mind so that something else can fill it, now I've got a problem. Okay? So we need to understand what we're talking about. It's not emptying my mind. It's, it's, it's filling my mind. There's a lot of scripture on the subject of meditation in, in the Bible. Um, there's two primary words in the Old Testament, and we find those two words used 45 times. So it's not a concept that's just kind of glossed over or mentioned once or twice. I'm not positive. I guess I should have double-checked this. Maybe you guys can correct me, but I think maybe one of the first times it's used is in Genesis with Isaac. Remember where Abraham has sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, and they've been gone for a while. And what does it say Isaac is doing? He goes out to the field in the evening to meditate. Well, if dad just sent a servant to go get you a wife, would you be spending some time in meditation and prayer? I think I would be. Um, maybe I'm reading into that passage a little bit. But while he's meditating, what happens? The servant comes back with his bride. And so that, that's the first time. Another passage that comes to my mind is Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I think you could do a whole series on this verse as well. Have you memorized this one? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good 
success. That connection between meditating and God's word and day and night and having good success, this life, this blessed life that we want to live. We get to the New Testament and we don't see the word used nearly as often as we see it in the Old Testament. I think partially because we have the book of Psalms in the Old Testament and it's a major, major concept through that book. Um, It's used only four or five times. But the concept, I think, is prevalent. Let's look at a couple passages here just quickly as we are thinking about this. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's a little warm in here. Get your fingers moving a little bit. That'll limber up your mind and help you stay with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 15, Paul says this in his instructions. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Meditate upon these things. What things is he he talking about? Well, back up. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Meditate, put your mind, actively engage your mind on these things. And if you do that, if you give yourself wholly to them, your profit will appear to all. That's a neat commandment. It's very similar to what we see there in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. But let me show you a couple of verses where While the word is not specifically stated, I think the concept is there. And it's very illustrative of what the idea here is for us. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. You know this verse. You might mix the words up a little bit if you try to quote it. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, Just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what's the next word? Think on these things. Does that sound like meditation to you? Take these ideas, these concepts, think about them. Put them in your mind, roll them around, ponder them. Uh, Give it a lot of thought. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And look at verse 25. James says, whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Look into the perfect law of liberty. What's that talking about? It's the word of God. Look into it, not just a casual glance, but look into it deeply and allow it to change your life. It's talking about the idea of meditation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at one more here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, down in verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you see meditation in that passage? I do. We're beholding, we're looking into, this perfect, into the glass, into the Word of God, and we're seeing the glory of the Lord. And because we're, we're so focused on Christ, he begins to change us into that same image. That's the idea of meditation here seen in the New Testament. Let's move on, number two, the process of meditation. What does it look like? Let's define some terms. It means to meditate, to muse, to ponder, to think on. It's the idea of diligent reading and serious consideration and thoughtful study. It's a mental process where scripture is memorized and visualized and personalized. And all those ideas are important as we're thinking about this idea of meditation. It's a mental process, and some of us, as we get older, are struggling more and more with those mental processes. Would you agree with that? It's a little harder to do this than when we were younger. 
It's a great reminder if you're here and you're younger, invest your time and your energies now into the word of God because it will stick with you as you get older. As we try to do it now, it's a little bit more difficult, but it can be done. The word can also mean to moan or to growl or to murmur, to talk to yourself in low tones. How many of you guys are already doing that? (laughs) Okay, except the low tones part. You can't hear anyway, so you're saying it nice and loud. Everybody can hear you. But the idea of of talking about the passage and talking to yourself about it, I find myself doing that in my office. That's probably good if you guys don't walk by and hear you say, who's got in there with him? But sometimes I do it. I'll, I'll I'll read the passage out loud and I'll talk about it. It engages my mind in a different way. I'll ask questions about the text. God, why did you use that word here? God, why, what are you trying to imply by this? And I'll just, I'll try to rationalize it out and work it out in my mind. And that's part of the idea. Doing it out loud is not a bad thing. One of the best illustrations of the idea of meditation comes from the animal kingdom. The idea of to ruminate or to chew the cud. And you guys understand this, all right? I'm not talking to people that are, don't have any experience on the farm. Uh, you know the terms that I'm talking about. Um, I don't have to clarify, you know, the, the, the white cows give white milk and the brown cows give chocolate milk, all that kind of stuff. You, you, you know all that, so we're all on the same page there. How does this work for a cow, this idea of chewing the cud or ruminating? Well, they'll go out there and they'll eat the hay or the grass or whatever it is, and they'll chew a bunch of it up and they'll fill their first stomach. Right? They've got multiple stomachs. Some of us just look like we have multiple stomachs. Um, but they chew that food, and they, they chew, chew it all up, and they get it into that first stomach. And then they, they go and they sit down somewhere in the shade to contemplate life's little mysteries, and they, they bring up that food back into their mouth, and they begin to chew it again. It's kind of gross when you think about it. But I'm glad God made cows like cows and not people like cows. If I was talking to teens, I'd go on with that illustration, but I'm not going to this morning. <clears throat> they begin to chew on it again and they chew on it again, and then they swallow it, and it goes into the second stomach. And then a little bit later, they'll bring it back up out of the second stomach, and they'll chew it some more, and I think that process goes on three or four times, depending on the animal. So what's the point? Why did God create these animals with that ability, with that desire, with that need? Well, every time they chew on it more, what's happening? They're getting more and more and more nutrients out of their food. You know, the food that they're eating doesn't have great nutritional value to start with. I've never seen the nutritional contents on the you know, grass. I don't know what that is. But the more they eat, the more they chew it, the more they're getting out of it. And they've got to get all those nutrients out of that food so that they can get stronger and so they can grow and so they can function. So let's take that idea and now apply that process to us as a Christian. What does that look like? Well, we take a passage of Scripture and we read it over and we read it over and we read it over. We think about it, we ponder it, we chew on it. And then as we go about our day, we continue to think on it. We continue to talk to God about it. We'll reach a point where we have maybe a little bit of time, and so we'll bring it up again, and we'll chew on it some more, and we'll chew on it some more until we've extracted the sweetness and the nutrients out of every single word in that passage, and then have taken those and applied them to our hearts. Why did we do that study last Sunday night talking about how we take every single word and define them and work through that? Because every single word has value. Every single word has nutrition. God reminds us that his word is compared to milk and to meat and to honey. And so every word in the text has nutritional value. We've got to think about those. We've got to chew on them. And as I do and I extract the nutrients out of that, God takes those nutrients and he applies it to my life. And he strengthens me and he grows us spiritually. Spiritual muscles develop. And it's kind of an irony. As we get older physically, you know, our physiques aren't what they used to be. 
You know, guys, do you remember those days when you'd flex in the mirror when you were teenagers? We don't do that anymore. You don't really want to look in the mirror. But what if we could look into a spiritual mirror after 30, 40, 50 years of meditating on God's word? And you begin to flex there, and it's not going to look so good on the physical side, but it'd be a spiritual bodybuilder looking back at you. Why? Because you've meditated on God's word, and he's taken those things, and he's built up your spiritual life to the point where now you're strong for him, strong spiritually. Folks, this takes discipline. It's not an easy process, but as we get into it and as we do it, we're going to find that it's a delightful process. There's a joy that comes from meditating on God's word the way we're talking about here. So I've seen the authority and the process of meditation. Number three, the focus of the meditation. It tells us here in the text, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What's the focus? It's the same law in which he delights. David says you finally come to the point where you long to be in the company of what you love. You love God and you love his word and so you want to spend more and more time with it. God's word has captured his full affection and now he gives it his complete attention. Do you see the connection between the heart and the mind? Both are actively engaged now in this process. It's flooded his heart and now it fills his mind. Psalm 104:34 David says my meditations of him will be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Are your meditations of God and his word are they sweet? There's a direct correlation between delight and meditation. And I noticed that as I was working through these passages, so many of them mess, 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 wow, I can't talk today, mention both ideas. It's hard to talk with a cough drop in your mouth. I have a hard time anyway, but um, sorry about that. I'll work through it here. There's a cor- correlation between delight and meditation. Let's look at a couple here quickly. Psalm 119. We'll just look at three. Psalm 119, verse 97. Notice the delight in David's voice. Oh, how love I thy law. And what's the next phrase? It is my meditation all the day. I love your law. I love your word. I delight in it. Therefore, I meditate in it. It's the two go hand in hand. Let's look down at another verse, Psalm, verse 48 of the same psalm. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. I will meditate in thy statutes. God, I love your word. I delight in your word. I want to meditate in it. Let's now look at Psalm 119, verse 15. And 16, he says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Delighting and meditating, meditating and delighting, the two go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. And it's important that we understand both. David says, I'm going to delight myself in your word. I'm going to meditate in your word. By the way, the topics for meditation are pretty much unlimited. Are we, I, there's so many things about God and his word that we can meditate on. You can take a passage or a verse and meditate upon that. You can meditate on the word of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, the names of God. You can meditate on the providences of God or the works of God, both in your own life as well as in the, the times past, in biblical times. You can think about the servants of God. All of these things then bring us back to the wonder of who God is 
and how big he is. My point is don't, don't not meditate for lack of something to meditate about. <laughs> There's a lot there, a lot of potential. Another thought here is that the location of my meditation is wide open. You know, there's nothing in these verses that say you can only meditate at First Baptist Church on the fourth pew back on the left side, or wherever your pew is, between the hours of 11 and 12 on Sunday. Aren't you thankful for that? There are some churches where they want you to come, and the time they want you to focus on spiritual things is just when you're there. Folks, we can meditate way more than that. The location is not limited. You can meditate at church. I hope you do. I hope your mind is, interacted, is engaged with God during these message times and during the times that we're singing. But you can meditate at home. You can meditate while doing the laundry, while washing the dishes, while changing a diaper. Uh, grandchild, I think most of us are out of that phase already at this point as far as our children. You can meditate while you're in the woods. You can meditate on the back of a, of a horse or on a four-wheeler. You can meditate while driving your car, or while shoveling the snow, or while pounding a nail. You can meditate in the shower. Great spot to meditate. Hard part is remembering what you did because you can't really write it down. Um, my point is you can meditate anytime, during lunch break, on the exercise bike, whatever it is. Find times during your day where you can just engage your mind in spiritual things instead of just in physical things. It's neat how God tr- ties truth together as you begin to think and meditate. I've been meditating in Psalm 1. This week I was reading several other passages. Our teens are in a little different reading uh, setup than what the adults are. We started it last year. We're still working on it. Um, But Psalm 12 was one of the passages that we were reading this week. And most of the way through that chapter, and down to verse 6, David says this, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. I was thinking about how important every single word of God is. And then I saw this verse. And, and it reminded me of how important God's word is, every single one of them. Why? Because they're pure words. If I took silver and I purified it once, I heated it, and the dross came off, that's going to be pretty pure. What if I do it twice? Maybe by the third time I think I've got all the impurities out of it. But what does God say about his word? It's been purified seven times. Folks, I can trust this book. I can meditate on every single word. It's been distilled down to just what's important. And I can take that and I can think on it. It was fun for me to see that connection as I was working through scripture this week. So what are you meditating on today? If someone were to ask you at the end of the service, what are you meditating on? What's your meditation point today? Would you have an answer? Well, you could say Psalm 1 now, right? But what if we built that culture here in the church where we just, we just encouraged each other spiritually that way? We, we built each other up. We sharpened each other. Um, where, you know, maybe Dave and I are out ice fishing and say, hey, Dave, what are you meditating on today? And uh, he'd have an answer. Man, I was reading in scripture and I saw this verse today and it just really encouraged my heart. And he looks at me and says, what are you meditating on today? Well, I haven't had a chance to. No, I, 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 but that could happen, couldn't it? Could that not happen as you're discussing with somebody and say, hey, man, I just, I've had such a hard morning today and I haven't had a chance to get into the word. And so you take what you learned and you share it with that person and that helps encourage them. We were just real. Because life is about that, right? We never know for sure how the days are going to go. Our goal is to be in God's word every day. But what if we develop that culture? We, we had that when I was in college for just a short period of time with a group of guys. And just that positive encouragement and accountability. It was not a negative thing. It wasn't trying to catch somebody without having read their scripture. It was, how can I encourage you and how can you encourage me? What a great thought. What are you meditating on today? Number four, the extent of his meditation We go on in the passage, he says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, but in his law doth he meditate day and night. 
He reads it by day and he ponders it by night. He takes a text in the morning and he carries it with him all day. His whole day is preoccupied with God and his word. Every available moment, he's going back to bring it up and chew on it again. Wow, what a concept. When he wakes up during the night, his mind immediately goes to the word of God. There's an aspect of continuation here that we don't really see in our English text. We could translate it the idea of he meditates day by day and night by night or day after day and night after night. Do you see this as kind of a long-term thing? Don't get discouraged if you get into God's word and you begin to study and meditate and you don't see massive growth in the first two weeks. Stick with it. It's a continuous... How old was David when he started doing this? He was a teenager. We get to the end of his life as an old man. Do you think there's a difference in growth between that point and the end of his life? Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. So give it some time and don't give up right off the bat. Results that will really begin to show after consistent repetition. He meditates day by day and night by night. How well do you sleep at night? I'm asking that somewhat knowing you guys. And knowing the crowd that I'm speaking to, as we get older, it's harder to sleep, isn't it? Do you find yourself waking up sometimes with your mind just racing through the events of the day? Or the busyness of tomorrow? Or just going back 30, 40 years to events that took place and you just can't shut your mind off? What's on your mind when you wake up in the night betrays what was on your heart when you pillowed your head. That's just how our bodies and our minds work. What we're thinking about when we go to bed, we're going to think about if we wake up during the night. What if you took a verse from Scripture or an attribute of God and begin to meditate on that before you went to bed? Just take 10, 15 minutes and roll a verse around in your mind. Chew on it for a little while. If God wakes you up or you wake up during the middle of the night, what are you going to be thinking on? I bet that verse or that attribute of God is going to come back to your mind. And now you can chew on that a little more and you can pray and you can talk to God about it. And, and maybe in the course of that, God allows you to drift back off to sleep. By the way, that's not a problem. <laughs> Don't say, oh, God, I'm sorry. No, he probably was helping you to do that. And what were you thinking about as you drifted off? You're thinking about him. That's a good thing. I wonder sometimes if David had trouble sleeping. You read through the Psalms and you see how often he says, I awoke during the night watches. But what does he do when he awakes during those times? He's meditating on the word of God. He's meditating on scripture. And folks, that's a great reminder for all of us. The extent of his meditation, it was day by day and it was night by night. Number five, the capacity for meditation. I can already hear some of you right now saying, I can't do it. I've tried it and it doesn't work. I'm too old. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I think you can. And I'm going to do a little bit of work here to try to convince you that it's possible. Right? We have the ability to meditate, as David describes, for two reasons. One, because you know how to worry. I think every single one of us would say, yes, we know how to worry. If I were to ask you right now, what's your five biggest worries? I bet many of you could say, you know what? I'm concerned about so-and-so, and I'm concerned about my son. I'm concerned about my dad who has surgery coming up, and I'm, I'm concerned about, I'm concerned about. We've got things right now that we could just lay out. And our minds are working on those things throughout the day. We're puzzling over them. We're worrying about them like a dog worrying on a bone. And worry, my friends, is nothing more than meditating. It's the same idea. The difference is when I'm worrying, I'm meditating on something that's outside of my control, and I really can't do anything about it. It's wasted energy for the most part. So if we know how to worry, we know how to meditate. Secondly, we know how to meditate because 
We do it in other areas of our life. How many of you have ever had a big project or a problem that you were trying to solve, and it just occupied your mind? I mean, you're trying to figure this out. You're trying to get it done. Maybe it's something with your car. Maybe it's a work-related thing. Um, Something that you're trying to figure out. What happens? You're working on other stuff, but eventually your mind goes back to that problem. And you're trying to solve it. You're trying to figure it out. Is that not the same idea as meditating? It is. It's the same idea. It's the same concept. Turn over to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1. If you remember Sunday night, I mentioned that when we're studying God's word and we define every word, if you want to go to the next level, you can take your concordance and look up uh, different times that word was used other places in scripture. And this is, this is one that I found. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? That word imagine is the same word for meditate that we find back in Psalm 1. Interesting, isn't it? Why do the heathen rage? Why do they meditate? Why do they imagine? Why do they focus on comparatively empty things? And when we fill our minds with worry and we fill our minds with, with other things like that that we cannot change, folks, those things are empty. They're occupying our mind with things that really are not important. I think the point here is we all have the capacity to meditate. We do it in different ways every single day. It's time to change the focus of my meditation and the direction of my thoughts. Let's take the energy that we're wasting on worry and channeling it into something productive. Get back into God's word and meditate upon it. Number six, an example of meditation. Um, You know, I think we might, I'm looking at the clock here. You know, let's let's just take a couple of minutes. I I, I think sometimes it's helpful just to work through something even as a group. I know this is more of a Sunday night type of a thing, but uh, I've got the the text pretty much here in the passage. Isaiah 26, you know the verse? That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon on him because he trusts in him. That's the general idea, right? So let's just take some time here and think about this verse and meditate just for a little bit. What does that look like? All right, we take the words. The first word is thou. Who's it talking about? You guys can interact with me. It's talking about... God, what do we know about God? Shout out some attributes here, just quickly. God is? He's all-knowing. So as I'm working through whatever it is I'm working with, God already knows the end. He knows the solution to the problem. Why do I have to worry about it? He's all-knowing. What else? He's all-powerful. God, you're bigger than the problems that I'm facing. You, You can handle the things that I'm struggling with. What else? He's faithful. God, you're never going to leave me hanging. God, every time I come to you and and I'm trying to to look for help and I need a solution, you're going to be there for me. I'm never going to go and knock on the door of prayer and say, God, can you help me? And you're going to not be there. You're going to close the door on me. You're faithful. What else? He's patient. Wow. Aren't we thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God is more patient with us than we are with other people? (laughs) I am. He's patient. What else? He's everywhere. Yeah. There's no place I can go where he's not there to help me. So this, And you can run with that idea. So thou, God, all these characteristics about you, uh, you will. It's a promise. And what do we know about God? When he makes a promise, he keeps it because he is faithful. And he knows the end from the beginning. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for this promise that you will keep me, that you'll watch over me, you'll guard me, you'll protect me, you'll preserve me. God, you've got my back. You've got me covered. You've got things taken care of in my life. And you're going to keep me, what's the next phrase, in perfect peace. What's peace? It's the absence of strife. It's a rosy life for the rest of your days. No, (laughs) it's not. But it's the ability to have that calm and that settledness of spirit in the midst of hard situations. 
And so I begin to think about peace and what that looks like in my life, and, and I'm reminded that it's perfect peace. It's complete peace. It's peace that doesn't have any lacking or any wants with it. But we see there's a qualification here. This peace is given to, the, to who? To those whose mind is stayed on thee. There's a condition. What does that mean? This idea of being stayed. It means I trust and I lean and you're my place of support. And then maybe your mind goes back to that song that we sing once in a while. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Somebody was meditating on this passage and they turned it into a poem. And somebody else turned that poem into a song. Aren't you thankful they did that? And so I begin to think about that and I'd say, God, help me to keep my mind stayed upon you today. Because he trusts in me. What is trust? It's surrender. It's faith. It's the willingness to say, God, I'll I'll lean totally upon you. So what have we done here in the past two and a half to three minutes? We've meditated. That's what it looks like. And and again, it's going to take different forms for you, but we can do this, is my point. So let's get in the book and let's let's do it. Number seven here as we close, a reminder for meditation. This is just a simple acrostic that helps me as I think through what all is involved in this process. And um, it, it may help you, it may not, as you're thinking about it. The M would stand for memorize, and I know I just lost you with that one right off the bat because you say I can't do that. Let me, let me say this. Memorization often happens as a byproduct of meditation. You understand what I'm saying? I take this passage and I think about it and I chew on it and I'm just working through it. I'm not trying to memorize it, but the more I think about it, the more God just implants it in my mind. And so, yes, it's good to practice and try to memorize, but... Man, if it happens as a byproduct of meditating, praise the Lord. That's great. The E would stand for emphasize. Look at the key thoughts. Uh, look at, at, at how God is using that in your life right now because his word is applicable to what you're going through right now, and, and he'll use it that way. What do you see about God in this passage? Emphasize those things. The D would be define. Take time to define the words. Even if all you have with you is your mind and the definitions you know, dig into that. Dig into a dictionary, a Greek or Hebrew dictionary, if you have the ability to do that. But define the words. The I would be individualized. Put your name in the passage. Apply it personally to you. Read it that way with your name actually in the text. Blessed blessed is Frank Schritz. who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates in his... You you see what I'm saying? Put your name in there. Make it personal. Make it apply to you. The T would be think. That goes without saying. Mull the passage over in your mind. Bring it up. Think about it. Ponder it. The A would be apply. And this is important. Truth is not truly learned until it's lived. The point of my meditation is not so I can have vast knowledges of Scripture. It's so that I can know something about my God and he can change me into his image and he can affect my life. The T would stand for testify. Tell other people what you're learning. Interact, engage with people about your study of God's word. Maybe it's somebody that's unsaved and you're just at the checkout counter and having a conversation and God just reminds you of a verse that you read and you bring it up and you just mention that. Or, you know, you're having a hard day. Do you mind if I pray for you today? I'll pray on my way out. Whatever, just say it out loud. Interact with people about the truths that God is talking to you about. And then the E would be enjoy. Don't get so caught up in the process that you don't enjoy it, that you don't delight in it. I will say this, the more you do it, the easier that will be. Do you remember when you first tried riding a bike? (laughs) Could you focus on the scenery all around you? No, you're so focused on trying to get the pedals right and the balance right. 
when you first started driving a car, um, boy, you were focused so much on the road and your mirrors and doing everything right. But now that you've been driving for all these years, you can look around and enjoy the scenery. Keep your eyes on the road, too. But you can look around and you can enjoy things. It's the same way with this. The enjoyment comes as we get better at doing it. But don't lose the joy in the process. Oh, folks, the happy person floods his heart and he fills his mind with the word of God. It's captured his affection and it has his full attention. In it, he delights passionately and he meditates regularly. And as a result, God blesses his life. He's a happy person. What a great thought. Folks, let's get in the word of God. If you don't have a habit of doing this, start that habit. What if you did 20 minutes a day for 20 days? Would that be enough to start that habit? People that know more than I do say that that usually does. 20 to 21 days is usually what it takes to start a new habit. Start 15 minutes, whatever it takes, just get the ball rolling and then stick with it day by day and night by night. Read, yes, but then take a verse and chew on it throughout the day. And you'll find that your desire for God and his word will increase to where that 15, 20 minutes isn't enough. You're going to want more and you're going to want more and you're going to want to think about it more than that. You're going to wake up at 6.15 when your alarm is set for 6.30. And instead of being grouchy that you lost 15 minutes of sleep, you're going to be excited that you get to spend 15 more minutes with your God. That's the idea here. That's what God will do as we delight in him, as we meditate upon his word. But it's time to move from possibility to reality, from theory to experience. Blessed is the man that delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates therein day and night. Psalm 1611, we mentioned last week, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the reminder that we can have incredible delight in you, our relationship with you, in the word of God that teaches us more and more about you. But Father, that delight comes as we begin to meditate and chew and and really digest the truths of this book. God, I pray that you'd give us the discipline to work at it. Lord, as we get older, it is harder. But, Father, the, the, the end result is still so rewarding. Father, give us a deeper understanding of your word so that we can know more about you, so we can fellowship with you to a greater and greater de- degree, and so therefore we can enjoy more delight in your word and in that relationship. Father, thank you again for the truths that we've seen today. Work in our heart in Jesus' name. Amen.